the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 66, recorded Friday, November 16th, 2012. Conference cameras and Twinkies. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Thank you so very much uh, for joining us. With us this week is Adrian Boyd. Uh, he used to be at Vector Sketch. He is now the senior systems designer at a Vex- Avit- I've already screwed it up. What is the name of your company? Avitecture. Thank you. I even think wrote, of, just, I even wrote it phonetically. Architecture, but with AV in the front. Exactly. That right there is Brad Grimes helping me. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've already screwed it up. Uh, welcome, Mr. Adrian. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me back. Uh, the gentleman who's helping me pronounce you know, really easy words is Brad Grimes, the senior editor for Infocom. How are you, sir? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. Absolutely. Uh, and last but not least is a newbie. His name is Andrew Robinson. He is a filmmaker, but um, he's also the managing editor for HomeTheaterReview.com. Welcome, Mr. Andrew. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, well, this week we're going to talk about Microsoft being on the iPad, sort of, kind of. Uh, Logitech's version of video conferencing and Cedia has written a beautiful white paper on mobile devices. Uh, but first, we're going to go talk for a second about programming and specifically um, continuing education. And this is from Sound and, Con- and Video Contractor uh, magazine. And the article just talks about... AV control training and, and how you should, as a, a programmer, continue it, your to continue it, your education, uh, whether that's manufacturer based or you know learning more about um, C plus and C sharp and, and this that and the other. And it got me to thinking actually about Infocom and their education and, and just continuing the education in general. Uh, so, Brian, we're going to start with you on this. Sure. How important is it um, as an AV professional? to keep up to date in other words to continue to learn stuff when it comes to this industry and this is is it is it where you've learned everything and you've taken your cts and you're good to go or is it another thing where you should be going to some sort of training whether it's online or in person two or three times a year well i mean uh, the quick answer is yeah it's it's always important to to continue your training whether it's to add new skills or to, you know, frankly, keep up your skills. I mean, one of the reasons that Infocom requires renewal units to maintain your CTS is because technology changes all the time. And, uh, you know, the the staff in the education and certification department over there, um, you know, they spend a lot of their time uh, talking to subject matter experts, people in the field, AV professionals um, like Adrian and, and everybody else out there, to find out, you know, what are the new things you're doing? What are the technologies everybody needs to do? And updating all the courses and everything that they teach. So, so it's important to, to to do ongoing training just so that you can keep up with technology. Because as you know, the industry is moving really, really fast right now. And the other thing, you know, 
it's always better to know more than you did uh, a year ago or than you do know more than the, your, your competitors. So, you know, if you, can, if you can find time in your schedule to add a couple more uh, certifications to your, to your roster, um, it's, it's always a good thing. Um, so, obviously, Infocom is huge on education, very big on certifications. Um, you know, they have their own, the CTS, the Certified Technology Espe uh, Specialist. Um, but they're, you know, we're behind all the other ones. I mean, Extron, Crestron, lots of companies have their own certifications. And um, they just all add to the depth of knowledge in, in this field. Adrian, this is something you, you deal a lot with control systems and, and with, uh, you know, uh, doing uh, CAD work and, and stuff like this. Is, is it something where it's easier for you guys in the field to do it online? Or is it better to get away and kind of sequester yourself for, for three or four days at a manufacturer's facility? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, my one of our senior programmers and our director of programming just came back uh, within the last uh, two weeks from master's class at Crestron. So, you know, the opportunity to go off-site uh, and do training is pretty viable because it, it gives you that uh, uh, you you the touch and feel of the product, one-to-one, uh, -one, uh, you know, face-to-face -face opportunities to talk with the individuals who engineer who who kind of write that the background stuff. And it gives you an opportunity to also interface with other peers. You know, hey, you know, I'm having a problem with this. Has anybody else experienced this? And someone may go, yeah, I, I've experienced that. This is how we might have fixed it. it so um, we're in an industry where uh, quite often we all try to help each other out, um, usually. Uh, and, and there's no fear in learning something new, especially when you don't know it. And, and you know, that's one of the cool things about our, about what, all of us as AV professionals do, you know, we, we learn new stuff and we, we keep upgrading things and trying to, and doing training, you know, online or, or, you know, uh, on your own is really good. There's lots of manufacturers that offer, you know, that opportunity and, uh, the more the merrier, uh, every opportunity I think that, uh, a, a prof AV professional has should take it, whether it's onsite, offsite, you know, get as much training as you can, because it just makes us you know, it gives you f more and more tools to, to do your job effectively. Andrew, in the world of residential or, you know, home theater AV, um, is there, I mean, take me through like the last 10 years and good Lord, things have changed. I mean, you've got, you know, 10 years ago, we, we barely had DVDs and now we've gone through two iterations of, of high definition, let's say, um, DVDs and, and just the advent of HDMI. How important is it uh, for home guys to keep on top of this? Well, I think it's it's very important, and I mean it's also very daunting. And with regards to you know like the CD organizations and certifications, I would just like to say that it's great for dealers and installers and you know technical people to become certified. But from a consumer standpoint. You know, they too have to kind of do their own research and stay on top of what those certifications, you know, mean and how they were, you know, how they came about. Because, you know, not to knock anybody's programs, but sometimes it's, you know, lecture and not a lot of hands-on. Um, or if the hands-on, you know, is limited and it's kind of a, you, you take a test at the end of a, a series of seminars so that when these types of installers get into, you know, my readers' homes, 
um, their hands-on knowledge may not be as as I should rife um, as the certification stamp that they received would lead consumers to believe. So it's it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, and so the consumer needs to stay on top of not only what certain certifications mean, but also what the technology is on a whole, because we exist in an industry that obviously survives based on sales. However, it's not always selling you things that you need. Um, and I think, you know, 3D is a prime example of something that, you know, people went all in on, and it turned out that, yeah, it's a, it's a feature that is now just included versus something worthy of charging you $1,000 more for. And I think consumers are becoming smarter, obviously, with the crash of the economy, you know, money is a lot tighter. We don't just, you know, we don't just uh, second mortgage our home now to put in these gigantic screening rooms and gazebos with, you know, rock speakers. Yeah. We're much more selective. And as a result, I think that a lot of um, snake oil is starting to uh, be strained out of the equation. And I think that's a, that's a really, really good thing. But it does make the sale potentially harder. You you made mention of something, and that's the consumer staying educated and, and up on stuff. And that's it's interesting to me. How as you know, whether it's it's your site or or something or somebody else's, how would you suggest an end user or consumer stay up? Because you're right, it is daunting. Um, well, I mean, there's there's a million there is a million specialty AV publications. Um, you know, obviously I am the, the face of just one outlet and, and I even never, I never recommend to even our readers that they just read, you know, us. Um, it is my opinion that in order to be the most well-rounded, well-versed, uh, and exploratory individual in the consumer electronic space, read everything. And what I mean by that is you may be a home theater enthusiast, but it would very much behoove you to read, um, you know, professional or semi-pro camera reviews. Uh, for instance, you know, really look at what Sony, Nikon, or you know, Panasonic are doing in the camera realm, because that, believe it or not, is going to play a big role in what you see coming down the pipe in the CE space, because user-generated content is becoming so much more important to manufacturers than ever before and how people capture said content ultimately is going to drive how it's displayed and shared in the home environment so you know you know uh, ultra hd and, and hdmi and blu-ray are all well and good but um, there's a lot of information to be gleaned from magazines, you know, like PC World or Mac World and, you know, Photography Magazine or DV Pro or things like that that would really benefit uh, a regular CE enthusiast. No, that's a very good point. And I wish they'd come up with something other than Ultra HD, but that's just... That's, a, that's <laughs> another program. Uh, from Double E Times... Japanese CE giants are losing the credibility war. Good lord, it's over. Uh, Sony, Panasonic, and Sharp this week uh, outlined their turnaround strategies after posting bleak. Read really sad. Second quarter financial results with big write-offs. Um, 
the author goes on to say, you know, they're asking two main questions here. Uh, Andrew, we'll go with you on this one. We'll start with you on this one. First of all, is the worst over? And secondly, what are these guys going to do? And it's not just Sony, Panasonic, and Sharp, let's be honest here. Um, how are they? How are the big Japanese CE guys going to recapture some of their 70s and 80s magic? Or are they? I think it's possible. Um, we may see one or two of those names drop out of certain markets um, altogether. Um, I hope they don't. But honestly, um, I think they're a victim of their own of their own success again relating back to uh, the late 90s into the early 2000s with the boom economy um, it was cash in while you could and then when it when it uh, burst none of these guys really had a second or backup plan and so they kept on keeping on as if nothing had changed and now that that kind of program three, four, or five years in the making has proven to be, you know, insurmountable in terms of them uh, kind of coming back to grace. So they now they need to do a radical shift in thinking. And I, and I think part of it stems from not creating more products, but fewer. Um, you know, back in the, in the 80s and 90s, Sony made, you know, five TVs. Yeah. You know, they, they made a, a 32, a 36, maybe a 40 and then like a 24 or 27, but they were all just, that's the, that's a Sony TV. It, it, it became about size. Now these manufacturers make five different SKUs of 60 inch TV each. And they sell them through, you know, certain models are only available through big box stores like Walmart or Target where other models are only sold online. And in truth, they vary in feature set by a very, very tiny amount, if at all. It's just a different, uh, maybe a different bezel. And that really has to stop. Um, and like I said in my, in my previous comment, from there, you've got to simplify your product line and then you've got to really simplify your message. Um, again, every, all these manufacturers you named are really kind of looking for gimmicks and something to differentiate themselves where the differentiation can come from just being truthful and quality and affordability. Um, just because Sony in the past, for instance, you know, has been able to charge a king's ransom back when TVs were labeled with Trinitron, <laughs> doesn't mean that they can't reinvent themselves as the better, the better Vizio. You know, if Sony came out and started hitting people at an at a price point you know, that is more reminiscent of like Westinghouse or Vizio, people would really be paying attention because the Sony name may not be as automatic for in, in terms of it's just the best. It's still one of those brands that if it ticked the right, if it checked the right boxes, um, it wouldn't take much for them. Now, with regards to Sharp, uh, you know, They've always been hit or miss. They 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 they're more on a roller coaster trajectory up and down. But um, I also think that a lot of these companies too are going to be bolstered by tablet markets and mobile markets. Um, and they really need to make sure. The reason Samsung's not on that list is because of their mobile market share. Um, you know, say what you want about their televisions, but Samsung has a stranglehold 
um, in the mobile market, and they were smart. They were smart to diversify into that early and become basically the OEM for Apple and a lot of other companies. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, Brad, are these guys, I mean, can these guys be saved? You know, Andrew makes mention of the fact that they are, have kind of, holy cow, you know, split themselves and have 15 different SKUs of the same product. Is that part and parcel of the issue, or is it the fact that they keep holding on to, you know, technology and, and devices that were past, say, three or four years ago? Well, I think uh, I think part of it is just cyclical. These are huge corporations that, you know, touched our lives in a lot of different ways. We've all owned their products. Uh, we've all, uh, you know, been entertained by Sony Pictures. And things. I mean, they're just really, really big companies. And, um, you know, things go through cycles. Can they be saved? Yeah, I, I think they can be saved. I think they can diversify. Uh, they'll have to. They may come out as, as very different kinds of companies, which is, you know, sort of how people see it. May You know, will they get into solar panels or batteries or power or things like that? All these things are, you know, good markets that uh, that someone's going to make a lot of money in. Um, there's no reason it can't be any of these. These were obviously, um, you know, prize companies in their prime. You know, very highly admired. Um, but things change, and manufacturing centers move. They move from the United States. They move from Japan. They move, uh, you know, from from a lot of different places. Um, yes, there were lots of SKUs. There was a lot of. Uh, uh, spreading their name uh, across a lot of different product areas, um, but you know, I, I, I can't. I certainly can't fault anybody who's who's had a lot of success continually trying to get into new markets and come out with new products. Um, you know, the, the the global slowdown has messed with a lot of companies, and these just happen to be uh, to be three of them. So, you know, I, I tend to be an optimist. I tend to think that the three of them will. Uh, will certainly, um, you know, sort of hunker down and uh, come out better in the end. They may look like very different companies, very uh, uh, expert in very different areas. But, uh, you know, they've they've all made products that we could admire in the past, and I think they can do it again. That's a very good point. That's a very good point because they have made, you know, good, really good products in the past. Uh, Adrian, Brad said he's an optimist. Are you an optimist or a, or a pessimist when it comes to these guys? Um, I think it depends on, you know, the manufacturer and what they're, what they're doing. It's, it's like it's been previously stated. I mean, uh, you know, Panasonic and, and Sharp and, and Sony, uh, they're very kind of they have lots their fingers in lots of different pies. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Sharp makes microwaves for goodness' sake, and and Panasonic makes electric razors, and Sony has a motion picture division. So all of these things kind of impact the global you know company you know uh, uh accounts and and i mean you know another thing that we kind of have to look at is you know the economy globally sucks you know there, there's lots of different pressures on manufacturers and we, you read about panasonic in the article you know a lot of the stuff of panasonic's uh, earnings are kind of related to their restructuring from buying sanyo you know, there was there was a lot of things involved in that, and that kind of affected, you know, their their third and fourth quarter earnings, and the restructuring is going to kind of help make, they're saying, you know, their first quarter, second quarter of next year be a little bit better. You know, we have to wait and see. Um, Sony has been, you know, bleeding, you know, on and off 
quite severely for the last couple of years. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've, they've lost kind of some of the, uh, um, the luster and the roots that they've had, uh, you know, which kind of made them the big name that they were in the seventies and eighties. Uh, you know, everyone wanted to have the Sony Walkman, anybody mm-hmm. else's, you know, tape player was kind of, what the heck is that? Um, Sony's been sometimes not as responsive to change to trends and, and held on to, certain technologies, even though they were really good and they've been uh, kind of, um, they've had great opportunities to get a foothold in new technologies, they've done really poor jobs in capitalizing on that. You know, they could have um, taken the digital uh, music market by storm. I mean, they have some one of the largest, uh, you know, music collections uh, through their uh, media assets and they have the technology to back it. But who came out on top? It was Apple with iTunes. Yeah. Sony could have could have done some amazing things with that. So, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, I, I think we need to kind of wait and see and look and tell. I mean, none of these manufacturers are going to go away. They're not going to end up like the hostess Twinkie. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, you had to bring that up, didn't you? No, uh, I'm a, everybody loves a good Twinkie. <laughs> They're not going to go away. They're probably going to change. There may be products that they may no longer manufacture. You know, things will change, but they're never going to go away. They're always going to be there uh, in one shape or form. You realize we record this, right? I'm going to play this back for you if if any of them, like, fold or something. Uh, Yeah. From, Time will tell. Yeah, from our buddies over at Technology Tell. Uh, Foxconn's coming to the United States. Yay! Uh, the story in, in Foxconn, if you don't know who they are, they are the giant Mamma Jamma um, manufacturing facility over in China that most people know them for cranking out uh, millions and millions of iPhones. Uh, and they are possibly bringing LCD manufacturing uh, either to California, uh, L.A., or to Detroit. Adrian, at this point, and I'm, I'm going to ask the question, and I'm, I'm going to you know qualify it. Does it matter where our technology is made? And the reason I ask it that way, I'm all for American jobs. I think that that we should should have as many American jobs as we need. We have unemployment at you know is high enough as it is. So I think from that aspect, it's 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 a positive. It's still a Chinese company though, and so that's you know it's almost like saying you know well we make Toyotas here. Well yeah, but it's a Japanese company. So. Um, does it matter at this point, you know, that that Foxcom is coming to the U.S.? Um, I think it depends on which political circle you subscribe to. Okay, then. I'm not, I, I mean, so I it's a politi- so it's, it is a it's more of a political question. Than I, it probably a, is, but I mean, I, I you don't I don't know. I mean, they say they might they they're talking about they might go to Detroit, they might go to L.A. Um, if they're doing LCD TV production. Who are they OEMing it to? Is it this this rumored Apple TV, you know, display that everyone's been talking about for the last two or three years, or is it something else? Are they coming to market with their own box? You know, uh, I I don't know. It's it's kind of a it's a rumor. It might happen. Everybody get their hopes up. But you don't know. Brad, one of the more famous things that Apple ever did was the fact that their design company is located in in silicon valley and so every every device from apple says designed in california whether or not it's manufactured there um does this matter at this point you know it, or is it more of a, of a political question than it is a technology question um at the end of the day i don't know that it matters much to the people who will use the lcd tvs or will sell or install the lcd t- 
LCD TVs unless whatever they produce in the United States stinks. Then it'll matter. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end of the day, I mean, uh, you know, like you acknowledged, I mean, we buy Apple products that that aren't made in the United States, aren't fabricated here. We drive cars that aren't fabricated here, or they are, but they're owned by a by a foreign company. Um, At the end of the day, it's the quality of the product. Um, If they bring jobs to the United States. Uh, that's great. Uh, if there are political reasons for it or whatever, I, you know, I'm not a politician. Uh, I don't, so I don't care as much. Um, obviously, if they put it up in my community and all my friends get jobs there or something, you know, that's also great. Um, but if they don't build them here, they'll build them somewhere else and they'll make them available to to uh, installers and and end users in the United States. Um, so you know, I t- I take it when the with a little bit of grain of salt, you know, we'll see if it if it happens. If it does, you know, great, and I hope they make a, a terrific product um, for whoever they're making it for. If they don't, you know, we'll. It's not like we're lacking for LCD TV supply right now. Yeah. Um, we'll be able to get them from somewhere else. Um, but it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what the product is, or who the OEM, or who the uh, the, the manufacturer is, the partner. Um, but, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I think we all just want the products to be good. Uh, Andrew, growing up, my dad used to say that, that he liked the idea that he could drive up to Detroit and watch his truck being built. Um, is there any of that anymore, uh, any of that sentiment you think left in America? Or is it, you know, like, like the other two guys have said, it's just it doesn't really matter much um, unless it, you know, you're, they're bringing jobs to your community? Um, among... Among my readers, five years ago, I would have said it doesn't matter, but there is this kind of groundswell for uh, products that are not made in America. Now, I, I can't really speak intelligently to what does that mean of a overseas company, you know, making a, a TV here um, versus it being an American company through and through. But it is something that a lot of buyers are are considering more heavily than I believe they used to. And something that I know a lot of manufacturers who went overseas are contemplating coming back. And these are American companies that, you know, outsource that are now seeing that the, um, the, the price benefits or the savings that were so-called passed on to their customers aren't really savings anymore. And they may in fact bring manufacturing back. So maybe, uh, you know, these, these overseas companies are seeing what the American companies are, are seeing. And now uh, here in America, we have the more affordable labor force. What was the last American TV company? Was it Zenith? Was that the last one that was actually made and, and you know, the company was here and manufactured here? I, um, I have no idea. I want to say it was Zenith. Anyhow, so, sorry. I didn't at the, uh, I'm sorry, Tim. At Go the ahead. end of the day, I... I'm certainly not saying it doesn't doesn't matter where these things are produced. Now, all things being equal, you know, sure, I would love to. I think everybody would love to support American-made products and American and in, in the AV industry in particular. There are a lot of great products made in the United States, um, but people don't buy them because they're necessarily because they're made in the United States. They just happen to be American companies that produced great products here. You know, whether they're audio, uh, whether they're loudspeakers or audio components or uh, switching components or th- anything like that. 
Um, lots of great products made there. Uh, they just happen to be good products and made in the United States. And, and I would agree with that. I mean, it, let's let's be frank and honest about the American consumer. Um, you know, they are unfortunately a lot of times more concerned about their own bottom line than somebody else's. And and you know that that's played out in the fact that there's a number of products made that are sold at, at Walmart that are made not here. And and there are you know by and large people you know kind of just you know they go to the checkout line and they just pay whatever it is and, and, and go on from there. I, I don't know that there is that many people that are intimately concerned about exactly where, you know, it's coming from. I just thought it was interesting the fact that, that Foxconn, you know, one of the biggest Chinese manufacturers was was thinking about coming over here. So Yeah, and you, and you have to look at, you know, they're going to make an LCD TV. Okay. But there's probably going to be a good chunk of that product that's going to be built in a factory or at least manufactured partly in a factory overseas yeah and then it'll get shipped here and then it'll be reassembled so you know there's all these other market factors that are involved um when we look at you know what may be happening you know fuel's gotten a little higher it's a little more expensive to ship things from china to here mm-hmm. maybe they're looking and saying hey it's cheaper to build here than to ship here we just don't know and what's really funny is that if any of you have seen the the movie um the campaign that was kind of the underlying plot line of of the movie so if you don't like will ferrell don't watch the movie just just saying there all right uh, you're listening to av week with adrian boyd brad grimes and mr andrew robinson uh our buddies over at cedia uh have come out with a white paper um on mobile devices um the senior director of technology uh said that many consumers want to use a device they are familiar with uh, such as a smartphone or tablet to control their home. We did reach out to Cedia and have, have not heard back yet on them or from them uh, to see if we get a copy of this. Um, Brad, we'll start with you on this. D- depending on, on what all is, is in the white paper, getting some sort of standard and, and some sort of everybody being on the same page when it comes to mobile devices can't be a bad thing, can it? No, 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 no. I mean... <laughs> Let's face it, it's whether you're controlling your home or your business or you are having mobile video conferences or audio conferences or any other, um, mobile devices are becoming the center of, I mean, they're a game changer. They're, they're becoming more central to everything everybody does and does well. Um, so for Cedia to obviously encourage its members to think in terms of incorporating um, these mobile devices and these smartphones into home automation or whatever it is, uh, you know, first of all, it's not new. Um, uh, you know, people have been doing that, and you know, all the uh, the telecommunications companies now who reach into your homes will let you do all this stuff over your smartphone. Um, and a lot of the uh, the CE and AV pro AV manufacturers make great interfaces that can run on uh, on mobile devices. So um, it's sort of anticipating um, what anybody who hires an ESC uh, is going to ask. It's it's basically, well, you know, I've heard about this, right, can, can do this now. Why can't I do all this on my smartphone? And then it, it's 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 a great way uh, to say, yes, you know, this is a, this is another service I can I could do for you. Or it's just value add. I mean, you know, the the, the touch panel or the, the well-programmed remote used to be something that you know, they could just leave on the coffee table as a value add and, uh, and really impress their residential customers. 
Um, this is just another way of anticipating a user's wants and needs. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're advocating standards or best practices. Um, but, you know, this is, this is the future. Uh, I take it back. It's not even the future. This, this is now. Anybody who goes into a home um, and is uh, integrating systems should be asking, you know, what smartphones do you use? Well, this is what I can do for you. If you give me your smartphone, I can put a program on it. Um, whether you're an Android user or an iOS user, um, and it'll let you do X, Y, and Z. And I'll even let you help me program the buttons so that it's exactly how you like it. It's, it's a great value add, and it's just a natural uh, sequence of events. Uh, Andrew, a couple, well, not even a couple months ago, a couple years ago, when the new iPad, when the first iPad came out, um, there was rumblings about, you know, mobile and this, that, and the other. And suddenly it's, you know, whether it's an Android or an Apple OS device, you have these really inexpensive, relatively speaking, um, like like Brad said, remote controls. Uh, is this you know kind of CDS way to gather um, all the troops around and say you know here's here's some best practices, guys. Here's some standards. Um, yeah, I think it is, and it's it's obvious it's it's obviously a very positive mood uh, move. I would argue it's a touch reactionary in that they're. A little bit late to the party, um, but better late than never, I guess. Um, I think this move is good for the consumer, and you know, definitely a smart move for installers, um, as you guys said, to bring that added value. Um, at the same time, if I if I have a business built on Crestron programming, uh, this news or standard or emphasis on mobile devices uh, may scare me a little bit because, you know, you can't quite, I don't, I don't believe you can build the same uh, rate that many Crestron programmers build uh, to set up someone's iPad. Oh, sure you uh, can. <laughs> you just... I'm sure you can. Whether or not a customer is willing to let you, let you or agree to it is, is, is another thing. Oh, yeah. um, because, I mean, I, I use my Google Nexus tablet to control my personal theater and actually my whole house. Um, and I mean, the apps that are downloaded to do so are free of charge and they work fantastically. And I think it's a great way for manufacturers to extend the their customer satisfaction uh, beyond the initial sale versus constantly trying to hit them up um, for, you know, buy the new product, buy the new product. Uh, for instance, I have an Integra uh, pre-pro that is one generation old. It's not the latest one with the uh, 4K upscaling. But because of the app, I have found a new level of functionality and interaction with my product that, you know, keeps me happy not only with my product and the brand, but, you know, keeps me involved in not looking at other things. And I, I really think that that is another plus that the mobile reach brings to not only installers but the manufacturers as well and at the end of the day the uh, consumers are the ones that benefit and that that's actually a really good point is is the increased functionality and almost newness factor that firmware and software upgrades uh give things like you know whether it's the 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 android tablets or the or the ios tablets yeah, that's a really good point uh, Adrian, uh, you, you you work a lot with when it comes to control. Is this something that was needed when it comes to, to residential? Um, potentially. I mean, I'd, I'd love to read a white paper and see what was really in it. I mean, one of the things that, that is kind of 
bothersome sometimes is when you're using a you know a mobile device in a residential environment is well I have one app to control my TV I have another app to control my music you know there's another app to control my receiver oh if I want to control my HVAC there's another app for that so you have five or six apps that you have to switch through in order to do something so if say I'm surfing the web and now I need to change the volume on my receiver because the you know whatever's too loud now I got to go get to that app and then I got to wait for it to load up and sync to that device so there's still we're still not at the point where everything seamlessly talks to one another or there's a traffic cop that everybody can talk to and make it all work unless you take that extra step and go to a control system like a control four like a savant like crestron whatever they may be to be that traffic cop to handle all of that you know in between stuff um in the corporate world you know the new buzzword is byod which is bring your own device and, and one of the big things is I want to be able to have my presentation on my whatever my device is and send that to the screen and, you know, have everybody else interact with it using their own device as well. And, you know, as an I, you know, for an IT manager, you know, they have to deal with all of the stupidity of, you know, uh, you know, well, how is this going to affect my network and what's going to happen with this and what's going to happen with that? So, you know, those are the things to look at. Uh, I think as time goes on and and we start finding that, I mean, there are some manufacturers now that are coming to the table and they're creating the technology, uh, whether it be software or hardware, to act as that traffic cop, to the intermediary between all of these apps and all these devices so they can start talking. That was, I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say to uh, Adrian's point about the, the traffic cop, um, yeah, you do have to open... Um, you know, multiple apps, but at the same time, it's not as if you have to open them anew. Um, like, for instance, when I'm controlling my system, uh, I have like a new, I have the Oppo BDP 103, which is among the more versatile products ever. Um, and that it is more than just a universal disk spinner, it really does kind of do everything. And uh, if a person is, you know, using a product such as that, I mean, you can interact with your entire media library as well as control the volume and, and, and things like that without leaving that particular product's uh, remote app. But moreover, a lot of these tablets um, that people are using and even their smartphones allow for multitasking. Um, and in that respect, it's as simple as hitting like the home button and it'll toggle very quickly between the two. They're already permanently synced. So yes, I would agree a, a, a traffic cop sort of uh, program may be necessary, but I I don't know if it's going to come from Control 4 or Crestron or the like. I just think that as you know, more and more of these companies start to, to talk to one another, and this is where I think that Cedia uh, push can, can help, but I, I think you're just going to kind of get this overarching sort of, you know, control standard, maybe, hopefully. But for now, it's not as inconvenient, I think, as, as you described. Well, and let me ask you guys this, because there are, let's say that there are two or three different levels of residentials, because that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, there is the, the homeowner who has cable TV plugged into the back of their TV. They have one remote because it, it controls everything, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have me. Right, I'm I'm not that guy, but I'm also I don't have you know I I don't make the 
uh, I don't have a Crestron system or an AMX system or a Control 4 system to control everything. I don't have a traffic cop. So my traffic cop is my remote control basket, right? I have 15 remotes. I don't have an issue with it. My wife does sometimes because <laughs> she can't find the right one. But you know what? And I think that there may be more of me than there are of the guy who wants, or I shouldn't say wants, who has the traffic cop. So if we can get everything on one device, maybe, and the remote control basket version of that is the multiple apps, like Adrian said. But you know what? It's still on one physical device. And yeah, I'm swiping through several apps. But you know what? I'm okay with that because I'm already used to several quote-unquote remotes. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. I think that that's much more the the norm or the standard that I think we first need to push towards versus, you know, this the really higher-end specialty or traffic cop thing. I mean, the second... I was the same way. Uh, my wife and I in our living room system, which I've promised to always keep simple, um, as opposed to my screening room, um, we had five. It took five remotes wow. at one time. And I can't go to a Harmony type system because I review too much. You know, I may have a different TV every week. Mm, yeah. And, you know, to plug in a Harmony remote and go through all that is as great as that is. Um, it's just not even worth it. Well, with the advent of apps, we just have a, a like I said, a, a $200 Google tablet that just sits on our coffee table. And it literally is as simple as while I'm installing a TV, I go on a Google Play Store and I type in the manufacturer and more often than not, um, they have an app to control their TV. And so long as my uh, TV is connected to the network, um, she's up and running and without a learning curve at all. And, you know, she really appreciates that. And honestly, so do I, because it means that I don't, I, I don't even take remotes out of the boxes anymore. Um, wow. I just download the app and it's that simple. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Provided that, you know, the manufacturer, you know, has an app built and has that happen. And you know, we still have a lot of consumers that, have legacy gear. Oh, yeah. I mean, so well, yeah. a lot of that legacy gear, it's never going to have an app unless we build an intermediary for it. You know, old IR devices, you know, VCRs, laser discs, you know, tape players, those uh, types of things. Laser discs. <laughs> mini disc players. You know I what? I love future. mini disc, okay? You know I know what? that's why I brought it up. Jeez. One of the I, still have a cool, I still have my Sony portable mini disc that records and does all the fun stuff. I love that little thing. One of the best products uh, Sony ever made. You know, we were talking about Sony earlier. One of the best products they ever made. Sorry. If you get if you get a chance to get your hands on one, grab it. Uh, from ZDNet, Logitech has entered into the video conferencing system. Great. That's awesome. Andrew mentioned the Harmony remote. And I, I shouldn't be, be hateful to Logitech. They're a good company. You know, they made the, the first... They, did they make the only Google TV? Is that? Do they still the only ones guys that made that? No, no there's a no. couple people that are now making them. Okay, they're the ones that stopped because they lost a couple million dollars. So, um, and uh, Adrian, is this something that, um, I'm I'm, I'm going to try to choose my words here because I I I think Logitech is a fine company. 
Uh, but I don't see them as the same level as a life size or polycom. Is that fair? Well, Logitech bought life size. So I've been waiting for them to leverage that technology. That, yes. <laughs> in their consumer space or their small business space. And, you know, everybody who, you know, lugs around a laptop that doesn't have a built in camera, it's usually either a Microsoft camera or it's a Logitech camera. Um, well, let, let so, me restate that. I, yes, it's the same company. The name then, how about that? Logitech, I don't see them as having the same cachet as LifeSize or Polycom or, or Cisco. Is that fair? Somewhat. Somewhat, okay. Uh, I mean, I, 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 looking at the camera, looking at the specs, this is actually kind of a neat little product for the price point it is and what it's going to compete in. And, and you know, if we're looking at competition, you know, of who it's going to play with, you know, the closest one I see right now would probably be Vadio's camera, yeah. um, you know, in the UC market. It, it, and then, you know, there's a couple things, you know, Cisco's got their little Tanberg camera, which is USB powered and, and so on. And and there's a couple other people that are kind of playing in that market, but at the price point it sits at, Logitech's really the only one that's kind of doing this. And what's kind of neat about it is it's got a pretty good um, field of view. You know, I mean, that's always been the downfall of these, you know, let's stick a camera, put it on a display, and let's do video conferencing. You know, you could only fit so many people in the frame. Um this one's got a 78 degree, you know, uh, field of view, which is a little bit better than, you know, your standard look at me uh, uh, yeah. webcam. Yeah. So I think this is a neat little product. Uh, it'll fit certain areas, you know, really small conference rooms. Uh, I don't think this is the best product to use in a, you know, conference of over six people. Um, this is good for like you know your little four person rooms, or you know the 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 trend now for people who work from home. Uh, it, you know, it, within the last ten years, we finally have the infrastructure uh, in the sense of IT and and residential networking. Um, you know, whether it be you know uh, uh, FiOS or or cable or whatever it is, to actually work from home conveniently. And this is kind of a nice little product for. You know, the telecommuter to sit there and get in a, get on a conference call and do what he needs to do and still be productive at home type of stuff. Yeah, that's true. Um, Andrew, the, the Adrian mentioned the price point. Price point's about $200. Um, is this something that can, can compete or not even compete because I don't even know that the UMI is still even manufactured. Um, is this something that will get video conferencing into the homes quicker or, you know, um, oh, the number of uh, there's a couple TVs that have you know cameras built into them. So, you know what, mom, we bought a brand new TV that has a camera built in. We can buy you this two hundred dollar thing, and and you can have, you know, a, a video conference on the other side. Is that even viable right now? Um, do you think the the American public wants that in their in their living room? Um, I don't know if they necessarily want it in their living room, um, but I think they want it in their lives, whether or not it's from a Logitech camera or the fact that, you know, I think at that price point, it might appeal to the small upstart business. But in terms of the consumer, I think you're going to have a hard time getting them away from the cameras that are just built into their devices already, uh, i.e. a laptop, even their smartphones and, and tablets. Um, now that TVs have it, again, that's just one more barrier, you know, for the Logitech 
in the home. So I really think that it's bigger market is in the small business, um, maybe, you know, a dozen or fewer employees, um, you know, creative circle type uh, industries uh, more so than living rooms. And and Logitech also makes a little, you remember Biscotti, which was a yes. great little, you know, device. They're making a Skype, you know, only version. It just doesn't have the HDMI pass-through, hmm, wow. you know, and you, they're selling them at Best Buy, you know, for a couple hundred bucks. You know, stick it on a TV and it's got Skype built right into it. You just need to plug it into a network jack or, or in your Wi-Fi. And, you know, Skype is kind of, a, it's pretty popular. I mean, if you want your to talk to grandma who's in Timbuktu, you know, she's got a computer with a webcam. You now can talk to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we like Skype. <laughs> it's, it's what we're using right now. Um, Brad, the, the, commodi- the commoditization of things have been written about ad nauseum for the last four or five years. Uh, the current you know, favorite is the commoditization of, of projectors because you can find them all the way down to 100 bucks. Um, are we seeing that in, in video conferencing with this $200 machine here from Logitech, or is this just you know, um, them leveraging you know, their higher-end um, higher equipment for a, a lower-end version? Well, I don't, I don't see it uh, yet as a commoditization story. I see it as, um, because I still consider this an enterprise product, not a home product. Okay. Um, I still see it as an um, opportunity looking for a solution. I mean, we, we who are in technology and no video conferencing, we're, we're immersed in it all the time. And as I'm recalling a, uh, there was a study a couple months ago uh, of government workers and how often they use video conferencing and they they uh, they they surveyed all sorts of random government workers how often do you use you and you know the 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 conclusion was like oh just you know thirty six percent of them um, have used video conferencing you know, once a month and you know to someone to anybody who's gung ho about video conferencing you look at that and you're like oh my god that's just that seems like terrible adoption but then I mean really think about it. I mean, do three out of the ten people you run into every day use video conferencing? Is that a high number or is it a low number? And what I've looked at it and said, um, I mean, video conferencing is still a room experience. It's still a group in a room. And unless you work for something, someone like Cisco or formerly Tanberg or Polycom, I doubt you're going to see a lot of this stuff in an office. You know, I, you, you know the dream is to... You know, have a video call like we're having a, an audio call. And, and everyone, you know, rather than call you, Tim, I'm just going to press this button and I'm going to be looking at you. And it's going to be a one-to-one conversation or a one-to-many conversation. And I, I think we just, we're just not there yet. I mean, those types of Tanberg systems that were office systems were still very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly not everybody, not every worker can can have a video, you know, call the time there's noise and there's you know you know other things where they don't have an office or they can't close a door or something like that but i think the potential for video conferencing is that we're just doing it at our desks and we don't have to reserve a room and we don't have to have a room system um so when i see a a a solution like this that's what i'm envisioning i'm I'm envisioning the built-in cameras in the computers i don't care how it happens just so that video conferencing becomes more pervasive. I think that's the end goal is that everybody, I mean, we sort of talk like that's what it is, that, you know, everything's video. Video's going to consume, you know, if you listen to Cisco, it's going to be everything that traverses the Internet. Yeah. 
Um, but we know what that is right now. Everyone's just streaming stuff on YouTube, but they're not all having video conversations. So, um, yeah, they're so looking that's at squirrels see, all the time. Well, the cats. Yeah. Well, yeah, cat, so yeah, that's where yeah. I see stuff like this going. I mean, uh, and you, and obviously you just you can't put uh, a, a video uh, conferencing solution on 60% of the desks in your enterprise yet because it's just cost prohibitive. So when I hear something, when I see something like that, that's what I'm starting to envision. I'm, I'm starting to envision a world where 60, 70, 80% of the offices in an enterprise have a, have a whatever, for lack of a better term, a video phone like this or something else on their desk and people start talking to each other face to face for a lot of things. Now, who knows? Maybe the world won't like that. Maybe we don't all want to see each other all the time. But I think that that's sort of the next logical step for video conferencing solutions is to get it more pervasive. Like I said, this this 36 whatever percent, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, wow, that's that's terrible adoption. But then I was thinking, well, am I, should we really be surprised about that? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's still a very room or event-based or... Mm -hmm meeting-based experience. It's really not a, a video calling experience yet, and this sort of gets us there. Yeah, and then if you talk to people who've ever used video conferencing heavily, and, and, and I wonder if some of the questions they ask them, you know, about the experiences, how they felt, most of the time you hear is, it's too hard to work, it never works half the time, or, you know, the video was horrible, or the audio was horrible. And, and, you know, we hear those statements all the time, and you're kind of always going, Hmm. Is it's not me? It's you. Uh, um, you know. Uh, you know. What's wrong with the system? And and as integrators have you know, absurd amounts of time um, at a client sites trying to figure out what the problems are and fixing you know v VC systems and and it's it's gotten a little better now that we're on sort of IP based networks and not ISDN. But I mean the the, the same complaints are still there. Um, so, and and what's kind of interesting is uh, when we look at these types of little these systems that are that are popping up, it's really only been in the last five years where we've seen this growth of the software-based codec, or the software-based uh, uh, video conferencing environment. Um, you know, you you pick a name, or and you know someone's got a software solution. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it be uh, Polycom or Tanberg uh, slash Cisco, um, Microsoft. Or you know the companies you can't even pronounce the name properly, you know. And, and Skype was kind of there, got it kind of going. But everybody's got some sort of software-based system now. Well, let me ask you guys, this, guys. This kind of almost took back to the the conversation we just had about about um, the remote controls. It, is it something where we do need a police? Uh, we do need somebody in the middle saying, you know, what whether that's Polycom or it's Blue Jeans. Uh, networks, or it's it's somebody else saying, "I don't care what you are, I'm going to give you to whoever else." So if you're if you're coming to me on, on on Google, you know, a Google chat, and you know Andrew's on Skype, I can make you guys talk to each other. Is it something where somebody like Polycom um, is maybe ahead of the game here, and they say, "Give us everybody, we're ubiquitous, knock yourselves out," um, to where it, it you know, like like Brad said, everybody's going to have a, a, a webcam. And then you can talk to anybody else. Well, I think that's kind of the goal of, of what they kind of trying to say, you know, as a, the unified communications, you know, buzzword. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the goal where it doesn't matter whose video conferencing system it is. It'll just talk. All right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, and it's a, it's a, 
going back to the very beginning of this conversation, Tim, when you asked uh, about commoditization, yeah, eventually, you know, we'll have commoditized video phones, if you will, um, just like we, you know, like regular phones are fairly commoditized now. It, but you're right, at the end of the day, uh, someone needs to be in the middle. It shouldn't matter um, what I'm using and what you're using. It should just matter that I know your video phone number mm-hmm. and I click on it and, and we're talking and you don't know that I'm using a Logitech and I don't know that you're using something from Polycom. And, you know, that's, that's I mean, we're, we're a ways away from that. Um, but we're getting there. I mean, it, it, it took a while for, for telephone services to become, you know, uh, I don't want to say obsolete, but, you know, something that we don't think about anymore. It just happened. We just made the connections. Um, so we'll get there. Um, and that's sort of what I see solutions like this. When we get more of them on desks, um, it's going to be very cool. I would like to point out that I was promised video phones by the Jetsons. So and, <laughs> and I still don't. I don't have flying cars either. So, um, Last but not least from our buddies over at Infocom. Uh, this is a, a special. Um, is it an article? or a, It's an article. Uh, healthcare AV, HIPAA, and acoustics. If you don't know what HIPAA is. Uh, I've had a couple of run-ins with with HIPAA in my broadcast days. Basically, uh, it's it's a nice it's a it's a good act. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Basically, saying that people can't find out about you or your medical condition. And uh, it, I honestly had never thought about HIPAA and AV. It was never two worlds that ever thought of colliding i'm not going to say it's peanut butter and chocolate it's like herring and peanut butter to me but brad it's actually a very good article and and talks about how av and acoustics can help you know whether it's you know hospitals or 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 clinics Mm -hmm. cut down on their hipaa exposure uh using acoustics Right, and and quick background here. Uh, you know, Infocom did a did a, a major market study this year, and uh, found out that uh, in the United States, at least, the healthcare market is is like the fastest growing or biggest potential uh, professional AV market, um, which got us thinking. We're trying to figure out things. Uh, you know, why is that? We also uh, we joined forces with something called the National eHealth Collaborative on a uh, uh, on our first ever you know, healthcare, IT, uh, slash AV conference, which is uh, later this month, November 27th to 28th in D.C. Um, but I was sitting around with, uh, you know, some of our standards and innovations folks who, you know, are always talking to people about, you know, what, what kind of technology challenges are, are we dealing with in the AV industry. And we started to hear from several consultants who were getting calls from hospitals or other health care um, facilities saying um, we have this HIPAA exposure um, and it's basically you know if you're in a hospital or you're in a doctor's office and there are all these rooms and you're in your room and you can hear the doctor next door telling the patient he's got X Y and Z and is really sick you've probably got a HIPAA violation right yep. there um, and it's not something that uh, people think thought about uh, much, obviously, uh, basically we're talking about acoustics and, and uh, uh, sound masking, whatever, whatever, you, whatever applications uh, you can think of. Um, and there are some AV consultants out there who are helping healthcare facilities deal with this exposure because 
Um, you know, if God forbid, uh, you know, patient confidentiality is breached and it's, uh, it turns into a mess, um, healthcare facilities can, can be levied significant fines by the federal government and uh, it can lead to all sorts of things. So um, some of it's, you know, very basic. You, you know, you're going into a new facility and a lot of facilities are being developed or going up these days because the way we get healthcare is changing. You know, we, we, they don't want us to all go to the hospital, obviously. Yeah. So there are new facilities being built, especially for these things. Now, are they in a existing building where the ductwork isn't, you know, uh, acoustically uh, up to snuff? I mean, can can you hear the doctor in the next room through the through the heating duct or the air conditioning duct? Uh, can you hear him over partition walls? Um, yeah, we didn't really think about this either uh, until the standards innovations department were were, were talking to uh, acousticians and saying, yeah, this is becoming a big market. We're helping healthcare facilities, you know, control their acoustics so they don't get in trouble. Well, yeah, and it's been fascinating that that you make a good point about existing buildings, and um, I'm thinking about a couple in particular here in in my town, which is you know there are a couple of these small little clinics that are in strip malls next to restaurants. And so, yeah, if they don't have, you know, yeah. you could be walking into Subway and hearing somebody's prognosis. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a, you know, it's it's a it's a precarious area. I mean, HIPAA's relatively speaking new. I mean, we know that there are healthcare facilities where you're going to you're going to find out what you've got um in a bed with a curtain between you and the next bed. I mean, there there are best case and worst case scenarios, and there are best efforts and um, and what have you. But there are situations where healthcare facilities feel themselves exposed to uh, to HIPAA issues because of acoustical issues, and and uh, you know AV guys know it best, and they're going in there and they're helping them out. Good for them. Yeah, it's a good article. You should check it out. We'll put up a, a link up on the website. So, uh, guys, that's going to be a, a, all the time that we have for today. A uh, special thank you to you three gentlemen. Uh, Andrew Robinson, he is the managing editor for Home Theater Review, hometheaterreview.com. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, any place else you want to send people, get a hold of you, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, stuff like that? Um, yeah, if you if they want to uh, visit my personal blog, which does cover other topics outside of home theater, um, you know, professional video and film and things like that, uh, they can. It's andrew-robinson-online.com. Andrew-robinson-online. Okay, dot com. Very good. Thank you yep. so much. Uh, also with us is Brad Grimes. He is the senior editor at Infocom. Thank you so much, Mr. Grimes. Thanks for having me, Tim. Absolutely. Uh, what is your your Twitter and people get a hold of you stuff? Uh, they can they can uh, follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at Grimes Pro AV. At Grimes Pro AV. Uh, and last but not least, Mr. Adrian Boyd, who has a new job at a place I can't pronounce. He's the senior system designer at Avitecture. Thank you. Uh, Formerly th- AV Washington, but uh, and you uh, can find me on the web. I'm, do, I'm around. Do you still have usually. that god awful Twitter handle? Yes, I have the longest Twitter handle known to man. Give it um, up. It's the underscore AV underscore CAD underscore guy on Twitter. All right. Wow. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so, all right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. I've been your host. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, if you'd like to follow me, I guess, it's, it's TD Tim David Albright on Twitter. Uh, but more importantly for me and for everybody here uh, at the AV Nation, please go by the website. 
avnation.tv. Uh, avnation.tv, you can find uh, this podcast and others uh, as well. This is our weekly. We do four other uh, monthlies. Uh, check us out on LinkedIn. We've got a group. Join that. Uh, we are on Facebook uh, and Twitter as well. That Twitter handle is TV. So thank you so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>